Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. As always, I am Kurt Heelan, and today we're going to try to guide through the, uh, I guess you'd call it the morass. It's certainly been a little bit disappointing. Everything that's been going on with the Washington Wizards this year, which, look, I predicted that they were going to be like the breakout team and maybe the two seed. They've been nowhere near that. So we're going to talk with Jay Michael from the uh, Wizards Insider from CSN Mid-Atlantic. Thanks for joining us today, man. Hey. So we'll start here at the top of this. Uh, Tonight, you know, they're going to announce the All-Star Reserves Thursday night. And and, and John Wall probably going to make that, do you think? I I mean, I think he he was on my list. I think he certainly deserves it. I I think he's going to make it. Uh, There's an argument to be made that, you know, you that Isaiah Thomas is going to make it or or probably should make it too. Um, If it becomes an either-or proposition um, between those two, Maybe it's a little bit more dicey simply because Isaiah has a, a team that's playing better, a team that's pretty much centered a lot around his success and his ability, uh, and he's having a career season. Um, and head-to-head, he's beaten John Wall four times this year, and he's yeah. beaten Wall 10 out of 11 times uh, uh, over the course of their careers. So I think there's an outside chance that maybe Wall could get snubbed, but I think because of the body of work, not just for this year, what he's done in previous years, and knowing that coaches respect him around the league and that in order to beat the Wizards, you have to game plan to stop John Wall. I think that is what's going to get him over the hump if there's any sort of uh, trepidation that any coaches are having over John Wall or Isaiah Thomas. I think it's still an either-one proposition. Wall gets denied maybe out of respect. And maybe Isaiah has to have another season like this for coaches who we all know believe in longevity and yeah. proving yourself over a long period of time. I think maybe they lean a little bit more of that, which is why I think Wall probably makes the all sorts of I think that that's a really good and fair assessment. I think the you know the other thing here is is – Will they put Kyrie on the on the team? My guess is yes. Uh, the only argument against him is genuinely, you know, he didn't play enough games. He was injured for that large chunk. And then you would free up a spot. But if you're going to put Kyrie on the team, obviously you're going to put Jimmy Butler on the team. And suddenly you're, you're, you know, you're limited in how many other guards you can get on that roster. And DeRozan's in there, Wall's in there, Isaiah Thomas is in there. It's going to be hard to fit all those guys. So. Correct. Exactly. 
it gets tough. But Walls, actually, I mean, he's having a good season despite everything. Like you said, everybody's still got a game for him. 19.6 points a game, 9.8 assists. I think it's up there with one of his better seasons in a lot of ways, despite the record of the team. Yeah, Wall is having one of his best seasons. Uh, if you look at what he's been able to do um, in terms of his numbers, particularly in December, when he got player of the month, and the Wizards were just a 500 team, but he was able to get them to that level uh, because of everything that he was doing. He made Garrett Temple, who's not a scorer, a good scorer simply because he's able to get him open. Uh, he was able to get guys on the floor uh, like Gary Neal and, and Ramon Sessions. Uh, get them numbers, uh, and both guys also have also had really good seasons uh, compared to what they've done the previous season. So when you look at what John Wall has done, when he got that $80 million max extension a couple seasons ago, the Wizards looked at was how he made everyone around him better. And so even though their record is sub-500, even though they were only 8-8 eight eight in the month of December, I think without him, the Wizards may have been lucky to only win two of those 16 games in December. So I think it's more of a, an indication of how important he is to the team. Uh, and when you judge value about what he brings to the table, he brings as much to the Wizards, regardless of what their record is, as anyone else brings to their team. And I think that's where a lot of people who think John Wall is an all-star, they're going to point to that. Yeah, it- but let's talk about the bigger team picture now. You've got Wall playing well, but this team, look, last season, to, to use the easy example, you, they guess, you know, Washington sweeps Toronto right out of the playoffs in the first round. Uh, Tuesday night, the Warriors, uh, the, the, the Warriors, the Raptors completed, the Warriors probably will too, they, to the, get the season sweep against the Wizards, but the Raptors picked up the season sweep against Washington. Uh, now, granted, this is a better Toronto team than a year ago. They're, they're playing better, but... Washington has taken a step back with everything around Wall, and I, 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 this was not something I expected, and it leaves me with this odd question right now: like, who are the Wizards? What is their identity? You know, when people ask me that question, I, I, I honestly can't give you an answer because every time you think they turn the corner, you know they got they got thrashed by the Indiana Pacers earlier this year, uh, look terrible. Then they come back and go into Indiana, and they beat the beat the tar out of them in Indiana. Um, and you say, okay, looks like they may have turned the corner. Now they got Boston up next, and they had Boston beat at home, and they blew it. Um, and every time it seems like they take a step forward, they always take two steps back, and sometimes it's even three steps back. And I think if you look at that last game they played in Toronto, they were down 14, they cut the deficit to three at halftime, they were in the game. And then there's always those spells in late, somewhere in the third quarter where they just fall asleep at the wheel and the other team pulls away. The Wizards traditionally this season haven't been good at playing from behind. You know, other than a game or two earlier in the season where they came back from a double-digit deficit and won, they just generally don't do it. When you have them down, they stay down. And that fight that we saw in the postseason last year with Toronto, with Atlanta, it's just not there, and it's kind of amazing when you think about it because they still have a lot of the same pieces. Granted, they don't have Paul Pierce, but they didn't have Paul Pierce the year before that when they made it to the conference semifinal. So I don't think you can say it's as simple as not having Paul Pierce. They still have John Wall. They still have Bradley Beal. They have Gortat. They have Nene. Their core is still there, but there's something missing chemistry-wise, particularly, I believe, on a defensive end. 
And when things aren't going well for them defensively, offensively, they just completely fall apart. And if things aren't going great for them offensively, defensively they fall apart. It's either or. You pick your poison no matter which direction you go with this team this season. It's the wrong direction. Which, which is kind of troubling. I mean, this was going to be the year that we, I think a lot of us were excited because after the playoffs last year when they finally played small more and they you know, played Pierce at the four, and granted now we were going to do it with Otto Porter, but finally they're going to go small. I don't know that that's worked that well for them. It's been inconsistent, so they've kind of bounced between that and being big. They're back to starting Nene and Gortat the last few games. Are they better big or are they better small? Or, I mean, back to what are they? Uh, look, I think they're better small. Um, look, going big, the spacing just isn't there. Yeah. Um, now, granted, part of the reason why they went back big is because they have so, so many guys still hurt. Yeah. Drew Gooden hasn't really fully recovered from that calf injury that he had. I think he's the, the ideal guy. If you need to go with a four, a stretch four, Jared Dudley is a little bit too small, and so Coach Randy Whitman doesn't believe that gives him the best chance to win when he has to match up with guys like Luis Scola or Chris Bosh, who will take advantage of him on the low block. So he goes to Nene. But, of course, Nene isn't a three-point shooter, and a lot of the offense runs through Nene. And if you have him on the floor with Gortat, that, abs- that takes away the pick-and-roll action with John Wall. So I think Drew Gooden, who's 6'10", who has more size than Dudley, but has the three-point shooting ability, uh, he's not the inside player. He's not the back-to-the-basket player that you can run offense to like Nene. But I think he's the perfect blend. But his health and, of course, his age, I think, has been part of what's been what's been holding him back. They used Chris Humphreys early in the season because he's become a three-point shooter, a much better three-point shooter than he's ever been in his career. I mean, actually, he never was a three-point shooter before the season. The problem, of course, that you have with Humphreys, I alluded to that Indiana game, you have him matched up against C.J. Miles and him playing a stretch four. He's not able to defend him. And as yeah. a result, a guy like C.J. Miles went eight for nine from three-point range. Uh, you put Chris Humphreys against the Boston Celtics when they use those bigs at the four position. He has trouble guarding out there as well. So I think they're in a real catch-22. And I don't know if the answer is on this roster if Drew Gooden can't be fully healthy. And it looks like he's not. I mean, that is the one thing we haven't you know, brought up yet. But to be fair to everything, injuries have been a big part of this. This has been a banged-up team all season long, starting with Bradley Beal, who's been out again lately. That guy, it's got to be hard for him because he's coming up on a contract year. Right? I mean, this is like he's going up for an extension, and he can't stay on the floor. Yeah, it's, ter- it's terrible for him. And this latest injury, it's just a fluke play. He just happened to get hit with Marcus Smart's offhand on a drive to the basket, broke his nose and gave him a concussion. So this is the third time that he's missing games. He injured his shoulder on a bad fall in Atlanta. Of course, he had his fourth um, stress injury in his lower right leg for the fourth season in a row. And then as he gets back from that, he has moments of playing well lately. He gets the broken nose and the concussion. It seems like he can't get out of his own way. Um, And it's really unfortunate. But, yeah, the injury problem, you don't have – Beal back there with John Wall. When you have Bradley Beal on the floor, it changes the way defenses cover the Wizards. Now, they can just load up on John Wall and just try to take him away. And they'll say to Garrett Temple or whoever's on opposite of Wall, hey, go ahead and beat us if you can. And more often than not, they're not going to be able to beat uh, the defense when they don't have Bradley Beal on that floor. Um, Because he can do so many other things other than just shoot the basketball. When he keeps his dribble alive, he can get to the basket, and he can finish as well. He doesn't do that consistently, but he can do that. 
And I think the threat of that is what they're missing. But you have Nene, who's had a calf injury since early in the season. Drew Gooden has had a couple of uh, – he had more back problems to start the season, overcame that, injured his calf. Gary Neal has been in and out of the lineup. He had flu. He had a groin injury. Um, you have Marching Gortat. He got the fluke knee infection on a fall in Orlando, and it ended up having a cut. And he had to miss about three games, and he had personal leave because his mom was sick and he had to go back to Poland, so that cost him three games. Uh, Chris Humphreys is now reaching double digits in terms of missed games because of soreness in his knee. Otto Porter has missed games uh, recently because he has, he told me, a uh, piece of torn cartilage in his hip that got aggravated. He's been playing with it all season. So it's not just the older guys. You know, I hear some people say, well, the Wizards are just old. The San Antonio Spurs are a lot older. And they're one of the least injured teams in the league. The Wizards have injuries from top to bottom. And I think even if they're able to come out of this on the other side and be a playoff team, how much do they burn out John Wall in the process in order to get to the playoffs? Because he's been playing mixed up, as I said earlier, for most of this season. So is he going to be handicapped long-term as a result of not being able to get the kind of rest that you'd like to see your superstar get? Yeah, when you, when you look at it, they're, what would be a regular starting lineup for them? Of, and this has been one of their better, more used lineups, but John Wall, Bradley Beal, Dudley at the three, Porter at the four, Gortat at the five. They're actually outscoring teams by almost five points per one, you know, five points a game They act, or per 48. They do okay. You sub Garrett Temple in for Beal, and they're basically a break-even team. Like, he... he Everything goes away pretty quickly, and then you get into that bench, and, and you start to have real problems. Um, and this kind of comes back around with with Randy Whitman. Is he comfortable playing big or is playing small and going fast? I mean, he did it in the playoffs, but there was always a sense that that's not what he wanted to do. Now I get the sense is he'd actually like to if if it would just work. Yeah, um, look, this from what I understood was not initially his idea of a small lineup. Um, but uh, was consistently as, as they've done earlier this season. He's been trying to make the system work. Um, look, I, I honestly believe they can play with that smaller lineup and be successful. Um, but the question is, as much as we can sit on the outside and look in and say we believe you can win that way, I don't know if they believe that they can win that way because as soon as the going gets rough or something doesn't work in the patch, and, and, you know, sometimes you're playing a game, maybe a lineup isn't going to work, or maybe this combination isn't going to work well against, well against this team as it will the next team. But I, I think they question what they're doing out there sometimes, the players, and they don't believe in each other sometimes. The pick-and-roll coverage, for instance, with Martian Gortat was in a, in a recent game, but was, was really not, not good at all. It was almost abysmal. And Coach Randy Whitman brought it up in a post-game conference recently um, that Nene was the only big who was contested on the pick-and-roll because he didn't have any other big who did so. And that was, you know, a Finley Bill shot at Gortat and his defense over the top. They've had issues for the past couple of years, Kurt, on covering the pick-and-roll. And it's come back, and what teams are realizing is because their one-on-one defense isn't very good, uh, as consistently good, that when Marching Gortat or whoever the big is supposed to help, the help generally isn't there the way it needs to be. And as a result, guess what happens? The guard consistently gets to the rim and finish in the paint. 
And so you can blame one-on-one defense, and then you can blame lack of health defense. What changed, though? I mean, last year this was a top-five defensive team. This was a team that maybe the pick-and-roll coverage wasn't great, but they were able to cover that. They were able to find ways to get stops and then kind of, you know, sometimes use those stops to get out and run, to get the fast-break stuff that, that we want to see, that you want to use if you've got the speed of wall. That's gone this year. They've been pretty pedestrian on a defense. What changed? Yeah, they, they have been pretty pedestrian. You know, I think what's changed is, you know, they, they tried to simplify a defensive concept. So, meaning, you know, take away all these different options when you're in certain situations because it was causing confusion early in the season. When you saw those stretch of games where Indiana, Oklahoma City, uh, Boston were, were putting up 115, 116 points a game against them, they decided to simplify the coverage just to make it easier. Well, the problem that comes with simplifying those coverage is that teams realize they covered the same way all the time. So guess what teams start to do? They adjust and start taking advantage because you're not mixing things up. If you're double teaming, for instance, in a low post from the same from the same direction, and you're having to guard dive down all the time in the same action, a team is going to adjust and take advantage of it. And I think that's what's happened with the Wizards. The in-game adjustments, and, and, and Jared Dudley has actually alluded to this on several occasions, that he doesn't even believe that they change it up enough to keep teams off balance. Sometimes you double team from this side. Maybe other times you double team this way. You mix it up the way you see Greg Popovich and the Spurs do all the time yeah. to make to keep the other team guessing. And as a result, teams are just t- simply taking advantage of their defense, and they're just not a great or even a solid uh, individual one-on-one defensive team. And the help sometimes is there. Sometimes it's not. They're better with Nene on the floor, in my opinion, defensively when it comes to help because he covers so many different holes that other guys leave. But when you put him on the floor, like we were talking earlier, the spacing offensively isn't as good. So to me, it's the classic case of the catch-22. And I just don't think they can find the right mix, the right blend. Maybe when Allen Anderson is able to get back on the court, and you get a couple of these other bodies on the court, maybe that changes the dynamic a little bit. But we're past the halfway point of the season. Um, And you're talking about right now, forget a top four seed, this team is just hoping to make the playoffs. Yeah, there. I believe it's what uh, three, you know, two and a half, three games out, right? Three and a half games out. I mean, it's not impossible, but there's a lot of teams to to jump. It leads to this question, though: if if the answer isn't on the roster, do you see them trying to make a move at the deadline? Uh, they could possibly. Uh, look, they don't have a lot of chips. You know, that that's the biggest thing. Um, you say, well, they can move somebody to get somebody who's better. Well, who are you going to move? Most of the guys who are worth moving potentially are hurt or their health is up and down. You know, Nene, you can say, well, you can move Nene, but if you pull him off, he's the one guy that they have among their bigs who can play with his back to the basket. Uh, Chris Humphries can't do that. No. Uh, DeJuan Blair, obviously he's undersized. That's not really his game, playing one-on-one. You can't run offense to him. Uh, Martin Gortat is more of a pick-and-roll big. So Nene would seem to be the obvious guy simply because he's on an expiring contract. But if you pull him away, you're going to have to get another big who can do what he does but do it just as well and be healthy. Uh, they don't want to compromise, uh, obviously, salary cap space for the summer. Uh, when it comes to pursuing Kevin Durant or whomever is out there as a free agent. So they, they're pretty much pot committed to that. So any move they make, I, I, would, I would sense that it would be a minor move, kind of like when they brought in a swap 
swap Lamont Sessions uh, for Andre Miller uh, with the Sacramento Kings last year, I wouldn't expect it to be anything major uh, that's going to be game-changing because at this point I don't see the benefit to doing that now when you're so late in the process. You brought up one of the, you know, I guess the one of the elephants in the room. When one of the big, look, it is the big storyline around the NBA, and and uh, Kevin Durant got peppered with questions up in New York, as as you might expect, and, and he kind of expertly dodged all those um, and kind of just said, I haven't, I haven't really thought about it. I mean, I've thought about it, but I haven't thought about it. Is basically what he said. Um, he's thought about it. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Of course. <laughs> um, that said, do you think there's a real chance that he kind of home? Or are they still kind of betting on that? Um, they're betting on it still. I mean, that's that's been their plan for you know a year and a half, two years now. Um, but look, I thought it was a fifty-fifty chance at best, looking at best case scenario. But if I step back and I'm just looking at it, going into the off season, if you're Kevin Durant, where's your best chance to win the championship? With the roster that you know they have right now in Oklahoma City, yeah, or the roster that they have right now in Washington most of which is going to turn over. Now, what the Wizards could sell is, hey, don't worry about what we have on our roster this year. The core guys are going to stay. There's a whole bunch of guys coming off the books. We're going to restructure it into a championship contender. But you're still putting your faith that the right decisions are going to be made and you're going to have the right combination of guys around you to win. In Oklahoma City right now, I think you know what you have. You have you take the bird in the hand, or you're going to try to go for the two in the bush and win at home. So, I, I, I think it's, you know, maybe 40% chance that he comes to D.C. And maybe even less than that at this point. Um, because you want to come to a team that's winning, that has a chance to contend and win a championship. Maybe the logic, Curtis, that the East is a lot weaker than the West, so by default it's going to be an easier path no matter what I do. And maybe that's the mindset that he takes into it. But I think Oklahoma City has a good chance of retaining him, though – you know, um, I'm not going to say he's definitely going to stay in OKC because, let's fr- quite frankly, I've been to Oklahoma City and I can't wait to get out every time I every time I get. <laughs> Spoken like a true East Coast big city guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. <laughs> but I I think that the, the your argument about you know, or your point that that look he's going to look around and say look what's he looking at it's the Wizards he's like all right. Well, and if Beal's healthy, that becomes interesting, but I've still got to go through LeBron and Kyrie. Am I, are we instantly on that level if I'm there? When he, like you said, they've got a really good team in Oklahoma City. Their their problem right now is that they're the Utah Jazz from the 90s. Like, like we've got this really good team. We're really good. We just keep running into those Jordan Bulls. No, they, they, they run into Steph Curry, but... They're running into a potentially transcendent, and maybe with the Spurs, depending on what you think of them and that, that one loss. But I, I, I mean, those are two really super elite teams on pace to win about seventy games, and they're just you know they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I don't know if going east, whether it's to Washington, which might make more sense on the court than somewhere like New York, I don't you know, or wherever. I just I'm not sure that he makes that move. You know, I, I think when he steps right. back. He'll live with what he's got in Oklahoma City, but we'll see. You know, it's a long time. It kind of depends, I think, on what happens to Oklahoma City in the playoffs as well. Yeah, I, I think so too. Here's it. You know, I, I find the whole narrative of going home kind of overrated because yeah. let's face it, your NBA career is only going to last for so long. Once your career is done, what by age 35, 36, you know, whatever, you can always go home after that. Yeah. <laughs> like 
and, and granted, these guys got so much money, they can live wherever they want. So I think the whole idea, well, he has to go home to win the championship or, you know, the idea of going home is going to be great. I, I just don't think it's always chalked up what people make it out to be because not everybody wants to play no. at home anyway. We mm -hmm. just assume that they want to. Some mm -hmm. people want to play anywhere but home because of all the pressure and the distractions that you're going to have there. Yeah, there's, there's, there are players that do not want to go home. Dwight Howard's an easy example here. He really does not want to be in Atlanta for a variety of reasons, but, the, but that is part of it. You know, he, he, I'm not sure Dwight Howard needs more distractions, but, you know. Um, <laughs> no, he's got quite enough. <laughs> but, they, they are, you know, he doesn't want to go there, and he's not alone. I think LeBron kind of started this narrative, but there was also, there were multiple reasons LeBron went back to Cleveland Going home yeah. sold well. It certainly, I think, was part of the equation, but there was a lot more to that equation um, than than just that. So I think that that's and that's where we are with with Durant. He's look. It's part of the equation. He would maybe like to come back to DC, you know, if if that's what he wants. But it's far from the sole deciding factor. He's going to have a lot of things that go into that. And I still think. Are you with me? You think what what he probably does takes a one year or two year deal with a one year opt out, stays in Oklahoma City. So that when the cap jumps that second time, in you know it's going to get up to 108 million in the summer of 2017. He opts out. He's a free agent again. Now he's getting a bigger payday, and that's where yeah. he, that's when he's going to really make his decision. Yeah, I mean that, that makes perfect sense to me as well. Like you know, who says that he's got to make the decision to to, to to break camp and leave Oklahoma City right now? Uh, look, all of these guys are making decisions. They know Kevin Durant knows. All of these guys know that. Their next contract, guys who have the years vested in the league like, like they do, that next contract is going to potentially be their last mega contract, and they want to make sure it counts. And when you're at that stage in the career, you want, you want two things. You want security, uh, you want security, which means money. You want some, some years, you want some money, and you want a chance to win a championship. A guy at his point in his career that Kevin Durant's going to be in, he wants to win a championship, and if he doesn't stand a chance to win a championship anywhere, um, uh, I think you can strike them off the list automatically, whether that's the Washington Wizards or anywhere else. The only guy I know who made a decision strictly for the money in recent memory is obviously Carmelo Anthony. He signed in with the New York Knicks. I don't think that Kevin Durant is, is kind of made that way. He wants to win a championship yeah, along exactly. with that money. Exactly. He, he, he is going to want both, and he can kind of... Look, he's the kind of player who can demand both. There are 29 teams that would bend that roster around to get to get him on there. Um, but you're right. You know, I don't think he... Look, sorry, Laker fans, but you're too far away. Like, that's one of those options where I just... I, I'm going to stay in the West and get worse? I, I just... Yeah, they, they'll, exactly. they'll get the interview, but I cannot imagine that that's going through his uh, mind. I, now, here's an interesting question, though. If you go in, are... Are you going to let him have say on the coach and that comes back to I guess a bigger question Randy Whitman has it's a team option for next year correct yeah he's partially guaranteed for next year do regardless of Durant does he come back at this rate I would say no um you know there was a time where I thought maybe he had a chance to do so uh, I, I think a lot of it was contingent on how this team performed this year um, they have to break down, uh, you know, after the season is done, no matter how this ends, whether the Wizards make the playoffs, only get to the first round, uh, get to the second round and lose again, whatever the case. Uh, after you do it the first time or two, you, this team is celebrating and people around the organization are happy. Now you want to get to that next level because if you keep just going out 
going to the playoffs every year, but you don't even get to the conference finals. That gets old quick, even for a franchise like this that, you know, hadn't won in quite some time before this latest one. Um, so the question becomes, you know, you want somebody to get you to the next level. Do you need a new voice in the locker room? Uh, and uh, do you need – there's a chemistry issue that's clear, I believe, that's a chemistry issue with the players on the team. Uh, you know, a lot of people blame Whitman for all of that. There's some chemistry issues, I believe. Not that guys don't personally like each other. I don't believe that's the issue. There's, you know, there's, there's not going to be, you know, somebody punching out someone in the locker room. I don't foresee anything like that. There's, there's the no the equipment managers are safe uh, in Washington. Behind closed doors, to my knowledge. Uh, but I just see there's a disconnect when these guys are on the court sometimes. Uh, you know, look, just the other game, uh, Nene and Bradley Beal, got into a shouting match uh, when they lost to Portland because Nene had the ball in the high post. He was directing Beal to move from the strong side to the weak side to create some spaces, and Beal wouldn't move, and it, it led to a turnover. And they started going at it. A lot of people didn't notice that, but uh, I noticed that and talked to some folks about it, and I did see that correctly. That's not the first time they've disagreed <laughs> about Beal's lack of movement off the ball. Um, is, is that a, is, is that an indication of coaching? I don't think so. I think that's an indication of these players. They butt heads a lot. They're a lot of stubborn guys. But what's going to happen, Kurt, when you don't have that success that the Wizards want going to that next level? The coach is always going to be the first guy to go. Yeah, and he is. But That's why I think Whitman is, is it's a long shot for him to stay because they're going to figure we got to change the chemistry, even if it's not – his fault, which you can look at some of his lineups and some of his rotations and some decisions that's made and say, hey, you know, this is what he didn't do right here. I think he should play Otto Porter and Kelly Oubre together more. They've shown they can play well together. We haven't seen them on the court together in a while. Um, you know, I, I think you can definitely point at some things that he hasn't done. But, uh, yeah, if, if, if this season is going the way it's going to go, I can't see a scenario in which he's the coach um, for next year. I think they buy him out for uh, 50% of his contract. All right. So you mentioned that, that part of the problem is just kind of the construction of the roster, not having the right pieces to do what they want to do. Does this mean Ernie Grunfeld's contract, I believe, is up as well? Is he safe, or could there be major changes in, in Washington? Ernie's, I think Ernie's safe. Um, okay. Ernie's safe. Yeah, I think he has, based on what I've been told over the last year or so, that he has some security um, uh, in terms of his contract situation. They keep it pretty hush-hush, but um, uh, I don't think there's any concern on his end. Um, I, I, I think the direction that they're trying to move with the small ball, with uh, coming up with, you know, they've drafted well recently. You know, Kelly Oubre, I think, is going to, in two years, is going to prove to be a really good draft pick that they traded up to get. Honestly, Otto Porter, um, he was a part of a really weak draft class. Um, but he was a number three pick. He's a decent player. I think he's a guy who's going to average about 15 and five, 15 and six when he's at his best, which is a decent player, not an all-star. Uh, so I think they've done well in that regard. I think they did well with trading for Ramon Sessions and, and picking up Gary Neal. Even though chemistry-wise, I think some things are still at issue with this team, I think a lot of moves have been made with Grunfeld. So I think he is safe, but there's questions that come from the coach about the player's commitment and here's something that was striking that was said to me. John Wall said that he agreed with Whitman's assessment that some guys aren't working hard enough in their downtime 
and studying enough up on their game plan to be prepared for what's about to happen on the court. So how much of that's on the coach? How much of that is on the GM? How much of that is on the players? If you're saying they're not working hard enough or being committed enough, and then the star player concurs, I think that says plenty. That's, that does say a lot, and it, it leads to a lot of questions. Who would they bring in if they if if Whitman goes? I mean, is it the Scott Brooks kind of thing? Um, would they look at assistants like a you know Sam Cassell or a Luke Walton? Or I, I'm sure you would like to cover David Blatt. I imagine his name would come up. Uh, <laughs> hey man, David Blatt. Hey, look, why are you joking? David Blatt, I think, would be really good for these guys, even though um, <laughs> even though obviously uh, Cleveland would think otherwise. Um, you know, if yeah, if they. I, I, if he ever got buy-in, if he put his ego aside, and, and it, this was, I, I, we'll see if he learned this lesson when he lands wherever he lands next. Like what he ran in Europe, and and LeBron wouldn't really let him institute here properly. Like if he ever got to run his offense and do his thing, it would really work with the right personnel. Like I, the guy, the idea that he's not a good coach um, is belied by the facts of, of like his history. He is a good coach. He took a while to adjust to the NBA but he couldn't ever get the players to fully buy in and do what he wanted them to do. Right. I mean, and see, and, and see, that's the thing. That's why when it comes to coaching, when we assess coaches, I say, you know, it's kind of hard. It's, it's not as cut and dry sometimes as people like to make it out to be. David Glad knows what he's doing. You know, he has a lot of free-flowing movement in his offense, um, a, a lot of action, a lot of off-ball movement. And obviously when you saw Cleveland play, look, you got – LeBron James, who likes to isolate with the basketball, and Kyrie Irving, who likes to isolate with the basketball. Yeah. And J.R. Smith, who likes to isolate with the basketball. Isolate so, with the basketball and take a bad shot in J.R. Smith's take. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it's you know, and we know in today's NBA, especially with how sophisticated defensive teams are, that's the worst thing you can possibly do is isolate and just pound the rock. And, hey, look. Look, just just look at the Clippers when they don't have Blake Griffin pounding the ball out for 15 seconds of the shot clock. Yeah. They all of a sudden are still winning without him. Um, and, and that's where the NBA is going. And that's the kind of basketball that David Blatt wants guys to play. And if your players won't accept it, won't buy in, or they try to sabotage you, whatever the reason, you will look like a coach who doesn't know what he's doing. But you can't force grown men uh, to, to, to do what you want them to do. You, you, you want them to respect your authority, your wisdom, your knowledge, but if they don't do it, your hands are tied, you're the ones who's going to get fired because it's easy to replace you and find somebody that they will listen to. That's the way it is, but just because a coach like Black gets fired doesn't mean that he can't coach. Maybe he's got to get better at dealing with players, uh, talking to players, uh, 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 you know, uh, building them up. Some guys need positive reinforcement. Some guys need negative reinforcement to get them going. you got to figure out personalities. I think it's more about that kind of stuff than it is the X and O stuff. Actually, I completely agree, and I think that, that if you're going to fault Blatt, that is sort of where he fell short. And I think, we'll see again, we'll see if he learned his lesson. He didn't deal well and kind of relate with players on that end of it as well. And We'll see. I, you know, he will get another chance. Is that the kind of you mentioned? We, we talked about him. I mean, what are the kind of guys they're looking for? Scott Brooks will be out there, or if they really want to run Mike D'Antoni's out there. I mean, what kind of guy would Runfeld look for? Well, they want to open up. They want to open up this team offensively. So I think whatever you're looking at as a coach, um, you know, look, look. Ideally, everybody wants to be the Spurs and the Warriors, to where you have this open, this offense, this free flow yeah. and stuff, where you can still be a top five team defensively. That's a really tough to do to have. 
to be equally good on each side of the ball like Golden State, that's really rare that teams are that good. I think they want to keep their defensive identity and principles in place uh, uh, and be a top 10, top 15, or top half of the league in defense, but they want that offense to be top five. Um, so whoever they're looking at, whatever direction they go, I think they're going to look at somebody who's more along those lines and not necessarily the Tom Thibodeau type of coach who's going to be more focused on defense and you know the, and, and, and letting all the defense try to generate the offense and be less creative on offense and side of ball. So I think that's where this direction this franchise is trying to go uh, because then it allows John Wall to be even better because he's your cornerstone you need to open up the court so he can get up and down and get to the rim and create for others, make good players great players, make average players good players. That's what John Wall does. He makes below average players average players. You need to open it up offensively to allow him to kind of percolate and maximize why you're giving him that $80 million. Any sort of offense that, uh, that, that, that takes that away from him, uh, there's no point in putting in a system you mentioned really quickly I'd love to come back to it uh, you mentioned Kelly Oubre who's the rookie out of out of Kansas really talented was seen as really raw and a bit of a project they're developing him but he's coming along a little faster than people thought it, he is doing some nice stuff there you, you can really see a potential like you said I don't know how good but at least a rotation player uh, developing here yeah well when Otto Porter got hurt that that opened the door um, for, for Kelly Oubre I mean, I thought going into the season, I would, I would tell people, dude, with everyone healthy on this team, or most of the guys healthy on this team, Kelly Oubre is going to play spot minutes. And, you know, he'll play in some blowout games. They'll throw him out there. But he's not going to play a lot based on what I know about the way Randy Whitman coaches and the way he likes to bring, bring along rookies. But the injuries have obviously allowed him to start uh, quite a few games. And he, during one stretch, uh, I think he made 10 of 13 or 10 of 12 three-point shots. His three-point accuracy, I don't know if you remember what he looked like in Summer League. Summer League, he couldn't throw it in the Yeah, it, was, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. Um, his, his mechanics have always been good. They never suffer, even when he misses. And I thought the three-point shot might be the last thing to come around, and it's funny that it's like the first thing I thought that came around for him. Uh, defensively, he's very good. Uh, he's obviously prone to being a little bit too aggressive at times and picking up some fouls. I'm sure part of that is because of adrenaline, being out on the court. Uh, but he's done some really good things for them. Uh, the other night, uh, even though they didn't play well uh, against Toronto, he came in the game for about five or six minutes, and he got his little thin body down there and grabbed some tough rebounds and traffic to generate the fast break and get that going. I think Kelly Oubre, when I talk about the mentality of this locker room being a little bit fragile, you know, Al Harrington has said to me a couple of years ago when he was here in Washington that he thought the locker room, those guys, could be mentally fragile. And so I tell you, all of these different pieces who moved in and out of free agency, they're the core guys who are still there. So I think that's an inference, uh, an indication, excuse me, of who he's referring to, that that core can be fragile at times. Kelly Oubre, in my opinion, is one of the toughest, men- mentally toughest guys in that locker room, even though he's just 20 years old. And... He doesn't blink. If he screws up, it doesn't bother him. He is really focused. He's cocky and believes in himself, but he he doesn't overdo it. It's in a way where I think it's positive. And I believe deep down he believes he should be on the court more 
And like I said, when when Otto Porter came back from injury, and you saw Ubre and Otto on the court at the same time, Otto six eight, Ubre six seven with that seven two wingspan, they can defend the perimeters pretty well and cover a lot of ground. I would like to see Ubre play a little bit more with Otto Porter because I think maybe with him on the floor, they can help solve some of those defensive issues that we were talking about earlier. I, you know, look, Ubre takes a bad shot and misses a shot, so be it. I think you got to ride with it. I think what he does on the other end of the floor is very valuable. And when the rest of his game comes around, I think he's going to be a pretty doggone, uh, pretty uh, doggone solid draft pick for the Good. All right. I was looking at uh, the 538 website. They said the Wizards have a 29% chance right now of making the playoffs. Do you think they get in? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, I'll say I'm going to give them a benefit of doubt that they get in because they're going to get some, they're going to get Allen Anderson back soon and some other guys. So I will say they get in the playoffs. I will say it will not be a top four seed. I thought they could get a top four seed before the season began. I will dial that back. They can get in as a lower seed and hope they can upset somebody in the first round. Because, Kurt, I also believe this, and I said this, this doesn't even involve the Wizards. I believe in the Eastern Conference. We're going to see a lower seed, like a six or maybe even a seven, upset a higher seed this year in the playoffs. Because I think the parity in the East, outside of maybe Cleveland and Toronto, is, is, you know, all of those guys are pretty much bunched in together. Yeah, and Toronto's been up and down too. I mean, they, that's a team that's really got to prove it can do. I, I'm I'm a believer, but I believe this is their year. But they have some stuff to prove in the postseason as well. So yeah, there's certainly questions. Definitely. So uh, I am. I, I think it's going to be a fascinating watch to see the second half of the year and how that bottom half of the East shakes out and who kind of climbs in and who doesn't. John Wall is capable of taking there. By the way, his shooting mechanics look better. Even like like did he oh, work on that do. this off season? Yeah, he's. I mean, every, he's been phenomenal. He will be in the All Star game. Check out check out the shooting mechanics, which have certainly improved, and he clearly spent time on this summer. And uh, yeah, he did, he did. And you know, hey, you know what's an indication of that? When the Celtics played them, John Wall got a season high thirty six points. The third meeting, mm-hmm. in the fourth meeting, when John Wall and the Wizards didn't play very well, uh, Brad Stevens changed the defensive coverages on Wall because they kept going under the screen and roll, and he was killing them with the pull up jump shot. And so they changed the coverages to take that away from him. So that's an indication that the Celtics and a coach like Brad Stevens says, look, we now have to take this away. We cannot give this to him because he killed us with it last time. So I think teams are starting to recognize they've got to be a little bit more aggressive on their coverage, and that's an indication that the mechanics are a lot better. I agree, and it's going to be fun to watch. Thanks for talking, Wizards. This has actually been great. Um, Jay Michael, Anytime you want to come on here and talk Wizards or talk Eastern Conference, maybe when we get closer to the playoffs and we can break all that down a little bit and uh, you can tell us how the Wizards are going to sneak into the finals. Oh, well. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know if we're going to be talking about Wizards for the playoffs and maybe talking about Wizards for the offseason by then. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll be back to that make, coaching but, discussion. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty interesting this year, particularly if, imagine this, Cleveland doesn't make the conference finals. I mean, who knows? I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, yeah. but given the turmoil there, you never know. You never know, but there's still their talent level still just is head and shoulders over the rest of the East. I still think that their their problem is they they look great up until they have to play one of the top three four teams in the West, and then then it doesn't look quite yeah. as yeah so. yeah. But you know, at times 
you know, Chicago, I, I don't believe Chicago's going to be there then. I think they're going to burn out Jimmy Butler, who's the cap's going to fall off <laughs> all the minutes he's playing. I think, you know, depending on how Chicago does, and I think Chicago and Toronto are the greatest threats. But you're right about Toronto. I think Paul Pierce took their heart with him to the, to the LA yeah. Clippers, and they haven't gotten it back yet. So they got to prove to me that they can win in the postseason. So I'm not willing to buy into them yet, but they're pretty close. I just that's a team I'd like to see make the second round again finally they haven't, they haven't made the second round since Chris Bosch was there and they've never gotten farther than that and this could be their year but like we like you were saying the the, the once you get past Cleveland anything could really happen in the east it, it's so wide open and a couple of injuries or a couple of moves at the deadline and everything will look different so Thanks again for doing this. We will talk to you all later. And everybody else, thanks for listening. We will be back next week with a new edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.